Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, but not just any episode of Lost in Science. This is a our special earth-shaking, heavy episode where we honour the we discovery. We are falling to earth. We are falling to earth. We are shaking. We're we shaking are, it we're up. We are quivering with the discovery of gravitational waves. Blow me away. It's Pull gravitational off. waves. It is. Day. It is gravitational Week. waves. We're going to talk huh? about... Everything you need to know about gravitational waves and things that you don't need to know about gravitational waves. That's how thorough we're going to be. Yes, we're going to answer some of your questions. We're going to answer some of Claire's questions, I believe. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions because I don't have a great background in physics. I don't know if you did if you knew this about me, but you know, my physics is pretty light on the ground, unlike the gravitational waves. So I'm going to ask some pretty basic questions that there might be some people out there who um, are looking for similar answers. Great. Well, I'm also going to ask some questions, um, but I'm going to shift it up a notch. Oh. I'm going to talk to astrophysicist Katie Mack oh, about like great. some really serious questions about what all this really means. Oh, that's exciting. But, uh, yeah, we're going to cover all the ins and outs and ups and downs and wibbles and wobbles of gravitational waves. So look, let us start. Claire, what is it that you really want to know? Okay. First things first. Okay. What is gravity? What do you mean, what is gravity? What, well, what is gravity? Like, I mean, I know gravity is the thing that keeps me on the ground, but people talk about gravity being the weakest force out there, but to me it's pretty strong. Like, how and, and, and how can gravity be so so strong to have, like, you know, travelled across the whole universe? And uh, what, what is it? Okay, well... That's these are that's I think that's more than one question, but we'll accept that. We'll accept that, okay? Um, gravity, well, it is like you said, the force that holds you on the ground, the force that pulls apples off trees, that um, ah. makes the moon move in orbit around the earth. As Isaac Newton observed, well, he he theorized that there was this force that acted on everything, acted between all matter. Um, pulling them together, attracting them together, and that led to the, basically the way that the cosmos all fits together. Fast forward a couple of hundred years, though, when Albert Einstein realised that gravity wasn't actually a force. Oh, what? It's not actually a force, he said. It's, oh. it's due to the curvature of space and time, or what we like to combine, Brangelina style, <laughs> as space-time. Space-time? Space-time. Hang on, hang on. I know space. Um, that's what's in the sky. I know time. It's what happens to me every day. Yep. Um, what is this space-time? It's basically the combination of the two. So space is like the three dimensions. Up and down is one dimension, left and right. Another one forward, backwards is the third one. So it's three dimensions. You can With them, you can point in any direction you like. Okay, yep, I got that. And time is the fourth dimension, which we all experience, as you said, every day, that you're continually moving forward through time. Space-time is the four-dimensional combination of space and right. time. And essentially, with Einstein's theory of relativity, both special and general, you kind of mix the two up and you can bend them, you can um, lengthen them, stretch them out, and you can do all kinds of weird things to space and time. And I've heard space-time being referred to as a fabric. 
Is that a good analogy? It's, it is the best one we've perhaps got, yeah. I mean, people often look at, think about space-time as being a sheet or something that is then deformed by masses. Like a big blanket. A big blanket or a big rubber sheet is another With way of thinking a of watermelon a trampoline. and a plum on it. Yeah. <laughs> being maybe like two different sized stars Yeah, like that, or the, the sun and the earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the, the plum... The watermelon, sorry, make it make a bigger indentation in your trampoline or your blanket, and the plum will kind of move in a big circle around said watermelon. Right. So Einstein says, okay, gravity, it's not a force, it's just a function of, of space-time. Yeah, because he was trying to figure out what happens when things accelerate. And because he'd done his special theory of relativity, which is all about things just moving really fast in in constant speed. And then he was trying to figure out what happens when they accelerate. And it occurred to him that if you were, say out in space in a closed box and you're accelerating at a constant rate, you could not tell the difference between that and being on Earth in the gravitational field. And so he concluded mm-hmm. from that they're basically one and the same thing, mm-hmm. that when you're standing on the ground here, you're effectively accelerated. The ground is accelerating you against the force of gravity and that if you were just to let go, if the ground wasn't there, you would move in what – Albert Einstein considers a straight line, which is obviously towards the centre of the Earth. Right. It's basically, yeah, all it means is time and space are both bent by gravity. As if like like they're a fabric, like they're a flexible fabric. A flexible fabric. And the gravitational waves are just ripples in this fabric. When one of these Mm. masses moves, or when two of the masses move, they cause ripples, they, they cause things to shake, and they travel like waves throughout the universe. So, Chris... Why are we calling them gravitational waves when we could just be calling them gravity waves? Well, gravity waves is already taken. That's already a thing. Oh, really? Yes. What are gravity waves? Well, there is one, a very good example, a very well-known example of gravity waves. Give us the example. Water waves. Oh, water, as in like surfable waves? Well, yeah, more when they're not the surfing kind, when they're just out in the ocean. So basically the water goes up and it goes down again, and it's gravity that's pulling it down and making it go up and down essentially. So right. it is a wave that's kind of it's the gravity that it's 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 ah, pulling it up and down. Okay, so, so we already have gravity waves. Gravity waves are already a thing. They're okay. just in normal water waves. So yeah, these are gravitational waves because they're from the gravitational force. Okay, that makes more sense. So Einstein was the first person to come up with the idea of gravitational waves or the theory of gravitational waves. As far as I know, because they come out of his theory of relativity. Yeah. Okay. So he came. He basically predicted gravitational waves in 1916. And he published. It's pretty. His, it's pretty cool. He published his theory of relativity in 1915. So I think here he would have been the first one to predict gravitational waves. And what role did gravitational waves sort of have in his theory of relativity? General relativity. General relativity. General relativity. Yeah, they didn't have a role as such. They're basically a prediction from it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, well, that's my that's my take on what happened. But um, I can see you don't believe me quite. So maybe we should go and cut to an expert. I think that's a good idea. Okay. Let's go to the experts. All right. Science, the final frontier. Yes, so we are talking gravitational waves with Katie Mack, who is an astrophysicist from the University of Melbourne. Now, Katie, I'm sure you've answered a lot of questions about gravitational waves, but you may have not have heard this one before. Okay. What is a gravitational wave? (laughs) How would you describe it? 
So a gravitational wave is a distortion in space-time. So when Einstein wrote down his theory of gravity in 1915, the big insight was that you can think of gravity as curvature in space-time. So if you put a ma massive object in space, then it curves the space-time toward it, and then it changes the paths of you know objects or light moving past that object. And so you know everything that's massive sort of curves space-time in toward it. And gravitational waves are just the this they're sort of ripples in that space-time so when you have massive objects moving around in space uh, in some accelerated kind of way like in an orbit that creates ripples in the space-time and that sort of sends that gravitational energy outward and that's what we've detected brilliant so these particular ripples which were detected at it's pronounced LIGO, isn't it? LIGO, yes. Yeah. Now, they were from black holes, is that yes. correct? Yeah, yeah. So these were two massive black holes spiraling in together. So they were in a binary system, they were orbiting each other, and at some point they got close enough in their orbit that they started to very rapidly produce gravitational radiation and lose energy in that orbit through that gravitational radiation. And that made the orbit get closer and closer and closer, and then it sort of inspiraled and merged into one black hole. So you had two black holes that were around 30, masses, 30 solar masses each, um, and they merged together to make one black hole. Actually, they, they were a little bit different. I don't remember the exact masses, but the amount of radiation that was carried off um, mm -hmm. was the same amount of energy as if you took three suns, like our sun, yeah. and turned them directly into energy in like a fraction of a second. So we're talking about a big bang. Well, not, not the literal big bang, but a big <laughs> yeah. collision. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So we're talking about uh, something where these, these objects you had, um, one black hole was something like 34 solar masses and mm -hmm. one was 29. And uh, when they came together, they created one black hole that was 62 solar masses. Okay. And so you ended up with... Um, and with, that's the gravitational uh, waves that have been given off. Yeah, yeah. Right. How do we know this? How do we know that's what this was? Well, we it's a, it's it's actually kind of it's a cool uh, thing. The detector is looking for is vi movements of mirrors. Basically, mm -hmm. it's shooting lasers down its these long arms, four kilometers long, and it's looking for a sign that these mirrors have moved. And the the movement of the mirrors um, is really hard to detect because it's a very small movement. The reason that the mm -hmm. mirrors move is that when a gravitational wave passes through any system, any anything, it stretches it and squeezes it in a characteristic way. So if a gravitational wave passes through your face right now, it makes it a little bit longer and, and skinnier and then a little bit wider and shorter um, sort of alternately. And like that's, a funhouse mirror kind of alternating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, so what the LIGO experiment was looking for was one of the arms of this detector to get longer while the other one was getting shorter and vice versa. And so it could tell when a gravitational wave passed through by looking at those changes in lengths. And they're tiny changes, by the way. This mm. is like, there's a four kilometer cavity and the change in length is something like one one thousandth the diameter of a proton, like yeah. incredibly small. But when they when they measured this change, it was an oscillating signal um, and that sort of increased in amplitude and frequency in just the way that was predicted by solving Einstein's equations in a supercomputer to okay. see exactly what these what the gravitational radiation would look like. And that's that's actually something we've only been able to do in the last ten years or so. What solving the equations? Yeah, yeah. Wow. These are so it's a field called numerical relativity where you put Einstein's equations into supercomputer and try and do these strong gravitational field simulations, which are really, really hard because it's just this this very extreme environment. 
And we've only had reliable simulations of what that waveform looks like um, in the last 10 years. And it was one of the amazing things about this discovery is when you look at the pattern of how the mirrors moved um, and compared that to the pattern of what the waveform looked like, um, it matched exactly. It was such a perfect agreement. And it was seen in both detectors. LIGO has two different detectors in right. different parts of the U.S. And the same for signal kind of was seen in both. Is that for like um, re- repeating the, the experiment? Like getting a, if you get the same signal on both, is that what it's for? The- yeah, the, the idea is that since they're, I mean, they're slightly different orientations, which helps to get different oh, okay. orientations of yeah. gravitational waves. But also it's to cancel out local noise. So like if there's a, a little earthquake or a thunderstorm or something near one of the detectors, yeah. LIGO picks that up. And or an so, ant walking past. Well, I mean, a truck driving by yeah, will do yeah. it, uh, you know, on the highway some kilometers away. So, um, so if you have two detectors, then you can sort of average out some of that noise. Yeah. Okay. And so what you saw then, or what you hear, is a speeding up of the oscillations, which is presumably what the black hole's going. And as they, they speed up further, and they get a big kind of climax. Yeah, yeah. And so the, so it turns out that these oscillations in space-time, mm-hmm. they're the same frequency that sound, like audible sound is, in yeah. terms of how often the oscillations occur. And so you can, you can convert this gravitational wave signal into sound, to hear what that sounds like um, in terms of the the oscillations coming in. And uh, so it's called a chirp yeah. um, because it's the sound that goes from sort of low frequency to a, a sort of higher frequency and then very quickly goes up to a very high frequency. I believe you started a bit of a meme <laughs> of astrophysicists trying to yeah. copy the chirp. Yeah, so one of the things that, that happens if you, if you go to a, a seminar about gravitational waves um, in any physics department, mm-hmm. um, the person presenting will will present one of these chirps, either a simulation, you know, sort of played as an audio file, or they'll they'll sing it themselves. Okay. And um, and so there are examples of of many great physicists singing their this this gravitational wave inspired chirp. And so I was when I was uh, getting ready for the announcement to happen, um, I knew I was going to be talking to some media people, and so I figured I should practice my chirp to make sure that I could get it right, that it yeah. sounded, that it matched the waveform. Um, and and um, can we trouble you for a... <laughs> yeah, so so it sounds kind of like... Um, whoop. Ah, once more, please. <laughs> okay. He goes, whoop. Right, that is very convincing. Um, look, I, what we're going to do probably, um, we'll download i think the actual chip and we'll okay. compare that all to right, see how right. well you've done but um no that is that is um very enlightening yeah um, okay so from this chip which is the way you've done it is just it's just a crescendo or like a, a rising pitch how do you tell from that like where these black holes were and how far away they were and all this other kind of stuff so that's that gets into the complicated details of of studying the waveform very exactly so mm-hmm. By looking at the waveform and comparing it to simulations, you can tell something about the masses of the black holes, and you can tell something about how far away they are, because as the universe is expanding, it stretches things out, including gravitational waves. So so you get this redshifting, which is, we call it redshifting for light, but you get some of that with gravitational waves as well. So there's there's a, basically you're just comparing the waveform you detect to um, simulations that have uh, these few different parameters, and, okay. and luckily black holes don't have that many parameters. There's the mass, there's the spin, there's charge, but that doesn't really come into this so much. So uh, we were able to measure the masses of the black holes. There's spins yep. to some, you know, 
uh, level and um, and how far away the system was. So we found out it was something like over a billion light years away. Something like 1.3 billion. Yeah, well, it was 1.3 billion years ago. Oh, I think, okay. That's how long the signal's been traveling to us. And right. converting time ago to distance away is complicated, but... And we know where in the sky it was as well? Well, we know roughly. I mean, we have, if you look at a map of where in the sky it was, Mm -hmm. there's a sort of big swath across the southern sky where it could have come from. With only two detectors, you can't triangulate very much. So the hope is that when we get a a third detector online, which will be in the next few years, then we'll be able to get a really exact location. And then that'll be really cool because we'll be able to compare it to electromagnetic signals, you know, um, gamma ray bursts maybe or or light signals of some kind. So you might be able to see the thing and then... Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the hope. I mean, already um, with this signal, there have been searches for gamma ray counterparts or okay, supernovae yeah. or neutrino counterparts. Even there was a search for sources of neutrinos that came out in a, at the same time. The neutrino thing doesn't seem like there's anything super convincing that that yeah. would line up with it. There's a claim that there was a gamma ray burst, a weird gamma ray burst around the same time as the um, gravitational wave uh, signal, but it's kind of unclear. What that was, the analysis kind of needs to be followed up, and um, we don't really know how to make gamma ray bursts from black hole collisions. So, it's um, that's yeah. kind of uncertain. Well, so what do we see the next one? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like the the exciting thing about this is it's not just detecting this thing and and you know verifying some part of Einstein's predictions. It's yeah. also opening up this whole new world of uh, gravitational wave astronomy. So we're going to be able to uh, study other black hole mergers. We're going to be able to study neutron star mergers, yeah. you know, study the the growth of structure in the universe, basically, by watching black holes come together. And and we're going to learn about, about space time and about the properties of black holes. And just we're seeing the universe in, in a whole new way that we haven't been able to see before. Fantastic. Now, your own area of research, I believe, is, well, it's cosmology. It's like the big stuff. It's we're having the beginning of the universe, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, dark matter. Yeah, we'd be able to see any of that with these kind of gravitational wave astronomy. So, so, um, so there's there's a kind of gravitational waves uh, that is useful for setting the early universe, and that's primordial mm-hmm. gravitational waves. And we we thought we might have seen those with the experiment called Bicep Two a couple yeah. years ago. Turned out that we were blinded by galactic dust yeah and that wasn't direct observation wasn't either. it's like a fingerprint in the cosmic yeah. background or yeah exactly yeah. yeah so that was indirect LIGO can't see those frequencies okay. um but future space-based detector called LISA might be able to see some of that or get closer to that okay. um and there's uh, other ways to detect gravitational waves indirectly um with pulsar timing for example if you have a whole bunch of pulsars in different parts of the sky you can see how the timing changes which might be due to a gravitational wave passing through yeah um so there's ways to look for primordial gravitational waves in that way but then there's also so people have asked me how this relates to dark matter research and it doesn't it doesn't directly because black holes form from dead stars and pulling in gas and stuff like that and they're Mm -hmm. not so related to dark matter usually but one of the things that we need to know when we study dark matter is how galaxies come together and how you know mergers happen, and that sort of informs our models of of how dark matter is evolving throughout the universe. So it'll be helpful for understanding dark matter better, although it won't. It's not going to show us dark matter. Okay, right. It's just part of the the toolkit of what we use yeah. to observe the universe. Yeah, yeah. And there'll probably be things that we don't even expect that we'll see. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's. 
I mean, every time we open a new window in the universe, we see something we didn't expect. You know, it yeah. happened with um, radio waves, happened with uh, neutrinos. You know, we're going to see... Yeah. We're going to see something new, presumably. We don't know what it is yet. So on a scale of one to five, how Uh exciting is this? Um, can I go to six? <laughs> I sure, mean, sure. I mean, this is this is, I think, the the biggest discovery of my lifetime in in astrophysics. So the only things that I would say come close yeah. are, let's see. Well, there's dark energy, um, mm-hmm. which is you know that's most of the energy density of the universe, so yeah. that's important. We shouldn't ignore that. Yeah, we shouldn't ignore that. That's important. But knowing the dark matter, dark energy is out there, is not giving us a new way yeah. of observing the universe. So I think it trumps that. Okay, um, just for the for, for the purpose of, you know, we're starting a whole new field now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's the Higgs boson, which again, mm-hmm. that's like confirming part of the standard model, but we're not getting like new Doesn't really tell us anything much, no. Yeah. Maybe like the discovery of mass in neutrinos is also pretty cool, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's something that's sort of beyond the basic standard model. Um, and neutrino physics has been doing really cool stuff, you know, yeah. in neutrino astronomy, but... Yeah, we're not, you know, I think it's, I think this is bigger than that. Okay. I think this is much bigger than that. All right. So a six on the out of five, I think that is pretty, pretty damn big. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Katie. And good luck you with finding some dark matter. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm Maggie Adairn-Pocock, and you're listening to Lost in Science on 3CR. Okay, so does that convince you that this is a big discovery? It does. I mean, if it's a if it's a six, if Katie says it's a six, then wow, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see why amazing. it's a big deal. You know, they've been looking for these things for like you know a hundred years now, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, by all accounts, even Einstein thought that they were never going to be detected. Yeah, well, he didn't know about black holes, I think, when he first predicted them, did he? So he didn't know how you could get something as big. As big, right. So yeah. he, would, he wouldn't have realised that, that his theory would ever be able to be observed yeah, yeah, by, yeah. by an, an experiment as amazing as this. Yeah. Apparently, he twice declared them non-existent. All right. Yeah, and, um, and then he reversed his declaration and then he re-reversed it and reversed it. <laughs> Someone actually said that... That gravitational waves, they propagate at the speed of thought. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, because they're made up. Because they're, they're made up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha, so ha. Um, apparently after Einstein theorized, theorized the gravitational wave, it, yeah. took, it took almost five decades before a guy named Joe Weber, um, who was an engineering professor, thought to develop some way to detect them. And he came up with something called the resonant bar antenna, Mm. which was pretty much just an aluminium cylinder. Just a big Um, weight, wasn't it? It was just a big weight, yeah, Yeah. that tried to work like a bell. So he tried to amplify them with this big aluminium cylinder that had, yeah, the gravitational wave would pass through and then it would be amplified that way. So it would shake this giant cylinder and you could tell check the shaking of the cylinder yeah yeah and then in 1969 he announced he'd found gravitational waves and and all the physicists just went crazy about it but but (laughs) i could tell this i mean if if he discovered them in 1969 i don't think we'd be making such a big deal today like you do in science a lot of physicists around the world tried to replicate his results and they couldn't independently verify and replicate his results. So everybody just, yeah, got sad faces and realised that they had not 
found gravitational waves or detected gravitational right, waves. Right. But what that did allow a whole new generation of physicists to do was motivate them to then come up with a better experimental design. So enter Rhino Weiss. Mm-hmm. Rhino Weiss, you know him from physicist circles, Chris, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> he He's now an 83-year-old physicist who yeah. is like punching, fist-punching the air right. because he was the first one to come up. Well, he, it was his idea to build the LIGO. Yes, the LIGO. laser interferometer gravitational observatory. Yeah, 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 and it was his idea in 1972. So he spent about 20 years with a group of colleagues just in sheer determination, countless studies, reports, presentations, committee meetings, trying to persuade people to build his his LIGO. Right. Yep, and build this experiment that was going to detect gravitational waves. And finally, the National Science Foundation funded the construction. And at the time, it was huge. Like 1990, it was like going to cost them – $272 million. And a lot of scientists and a lot of people were like, this is dumb. We, we, we don't even know if this is going to work. It's going to, it's going to draw a whole lot of money from yeah. other parts of research that we need. And a lot of the materials that you need to build this thing don't even exist yet. There are whole fields of engineering that haven't even been developed yet. But Weiss was like, nah, it's cool, guys. <laughs> Give me the check. <laughs> Give me the check. Trust me. Trust, Trust me. me on this. So the first iteration of LIGO was up in 2001. Mm-hmm. So that's almost 30 years from his brain inception right. of, the, of the experiment. Almost 30 years had passed. They ran it for nine years and in that time they sort of were refining and recalculating their algorithms. And then in 2010 – they took the observatory offline for five years and upgraded it with another $200 million. So this is a huge investment mm. now. And it came back. It was brand spanking new, more advanced than it had ever been. And it was due to open on September 18th last year. So September 18th, 2015, it was due to open. But five days beforehand, there were like a handful of physicists were just doing some last-minute tests on it just to see yeah. if everything was running okay and to see if they were going to get any interference or anything like that. So they had a list of little bits and pieces that they had to do. It ran overtime. They were there almost all night. They finished at the lab at like 2 a.m. in the morning or something and then they just left the detector on, went home a couple of hours later at 4.30 in the morning. No, 4.50 in the yeah. morning. The signal arrived. Yeah. The, the gravitational wave were found which is four days before the official opening and it had already done its job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I didn't know better, I would think the universe is trying to tell us something. Well, I mean, it is. It's sending us signals, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love with this that the whole idea that they had the fake signals as well. So, you know, the, the way they tested these, this equipment is that they would have a team, a special team of, of signal fakers who would come in oh, and secretly really? shake the mirrors and then the other people had to detect that they'd shaken the mirrors. So they so, were like mystery shoppers yeah, of yeah. the observatory. So they did this in 2010. And so what happened was they, they had observed a signal and then they got together and they did all the analysis and they found out where it was coming from in the sky and they basically had a big meeting and said, shall we publish this? Yeah, let's publish it. Mm. First of all, we better open the secret envelope. Open the secret envelope, and it said, ha-ha, it's a fake. 
Wow. So this one in, in last year, in September so, last year, basically when the first reports came in, there was the signal, the um the the faking people. Everyone's looking around secret, for the secret who was secret, envelope. Who was secret? The faking people. Then it didn't. No one knew who they were. So it was like they, a double blind. Yeah, they 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 basically contacted each other and said, "Did you did you shake the mirrors? No. Did you shake the mirrors? No. Is this real? You know." So they knew. <gasps> so they're the ones. They knew it was it was real because they hadn't put up a false signal. So, yeah, that was pretty exciting. You can imagine. There was no secret envelope. No secret envelope. Just yeah. a, just, a, just some internal yeah. or some external mail from yeah. the universe. Now, we should probably actually have a quick listen to what they heard. So we had Katie's interpretation of it before, of the, yeah. the chirp. So now let's have a quick listen to um, what they actually detected. That was amazing. Do, do you want to hear it again? Yeah. Okay. So there you go. That, that, I, is, that is the sound of the universe right there. That is, it's the universe speaking to us from billions of years ago. That is black holes colliding going whoop, whoop. <laughs> I sort of thought it would be more impressive, but... I think if you're standing right next to it, it'd be a bit more than whoop. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> we'll take what we've got. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it is, it is a huge... And it's a big engineering achievement, obviously. Um, and yeah. it does have huge potential for what we can see. Applications of this, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, radio waves, just to talk about waves again, are great because you can hear science shows on radio you waves. Can, you can. So, yeah, what are gravity waves going to be good for? I, I Gravitational think, waves. Sorry. I think we're not going to do a lot of communication with them because shaking black holes, a bit of a tricky way of transmitting a signal. Right. Yeah, um, a bit beyond us. Um, maybe if we have some really heavy topics we talk about. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, mostly for astronomy at this point of, of seeing the universe, new way of looking at the universe. Mm. And the beautiful thing about this is we don't know what we'll see. So yeah, and, um, anything could happen and probably will. That's very cool. Yeah. Out of this world. Out of this world. Well, look, I think we've run out of time and we have so much more that, that I personally could say. Uh, and I'm sure you do too, Claire. <laughs> Still a lot of questions. Still a lot of questions. But you've got a few answers, I hope. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Lost in Science, of course, it is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia, the Community Radio Network, the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We'd like you to get in touch with us. Please email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. Please find us on Facebook or find us on Twitter or listen to us on the radio or not your gravitational wave radio <laughs> um, where we get... Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.